0: Cooper talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell people, I am now part of the Podcast Playground. It's a great network. Go check them out, podcastplayground.com. They have some great, great shows on there. And, you know, we have a great guest today. You know, I talk to a lot of actors. And a lot of actors, if, if in their career they have their own one-hit TV show, they're really happy. And, you know, if they have more than one-hit TV show, they're really happy. You now, if they have two really... Good. I mean, they might have a good show and a show that sucks, but but they have, if they have two shows at the same time, which my guest has, they have to be really happy because he was on Spin City, which Alan Rock has been on the show, and he was on Arliss, which both Jim Turner and Robert Wool have been on the show, and they were two great shows, and he was on them simultaneously. So we have a great guest, and it's Michael Boatman. How you doing, Michael? Hey,
1: good, Steve. How are you? Good.
0: We're going to talk about that. It it just amazes me when I look at your IMDb that you were on those two shows, and we'll get to that at the same time. I mean, that's an actor's dream.
1: Uh, It was, and 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 even better, um, one was on one was in New York, one shot in New York, spin city, and Arliss shot in L.A. So it it never got hectic. Also, it was really kind of a kismet perfect sort of combination of events. Because Arliss shot in the summer when Spin City was on uh, hiatus for the summer, you know, so it was just kind of perfect. And, you know, four kids, uh, you know, which uh, are are always expensive (laughs) Um, for many different reasons. My two youngest are in college right now, and so, you know, we're still, you know, chugging away. Um, But I also, having... Just having, you know, the good fight um, finish in 2022, I think. I mean, it's still on and streaming and everything. But it's just funny how that weird little synchronicity, Arliss Spin City, people still talk about it. And apparently, Heather Lockley. I mean, I'm sure now it's done, it's, you know, more common, but apparently at the time, uh I was told my manager's always told me you and Heather Locklear you and cuz I guess she was on I don't know, Di- Dynasty and TJ Hooker at the same time boy am I dating myself with those shows but listen it was great both of those shows I made lifelong friends um and and they were just fun I mean with in both regards you said Jim Turner and Robert have been on 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 your podcast Sandra O, oh, who's still a friend, Jim Turner, still a friend, Robert, you know, I occasionally see him or he'll call. And everyone from Spin City uh, are pretty much, yeah, we're still friendly. I see Michael, um, you know, I just saw Michael a few, a couple of weeks ago. I saw Charlie, you know, um, Charlie Sheen became one of my best friends from, 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 from spin city, Alan Rock is, and I are very close and I'm actually staying right now at the moment because I'm in a transitional phase, moving to the city. I'm staying in Richard kinds apartment because <laughs> Richard's been on the show too. Yeah. So, <laughs> Oh, has he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, he's, he, he is a character. He's out of town right now and he knew that I was moving and going through, you know, looking for stuff. And he said, "What? stay in my place. Why don't you just stay in <laughs> what you're an idiot. Everybody that knows Richard Kine does Richard
0: Kine.
1: So, anyway. <laughs> so, you
0: know, you, you've, you've had this really long career. When, when did you know you wanted to be an actor? Was that as a kid, did it just, boom, hit you? Or, or what was it like? Because I, I, I had a career in comedy for a while, and I didn't really get into it until okay. I, after I got out of... I, I, still, I sort of knew, but when I was in college, I got my degree to make yeah. my parents happy. Then I started doing it. But I sort of knew at a younger age I wanted to get into this area. When did you know that you wanted to become an actor?
1: You know, I, well, originally as a kid, I wanted a career in the sciences. I loved um, the ocean. I was, you know, my, for the longest time, I was, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a marine biologist. And and then at one another point, I, uh, I decided I like, I, and I still do, um, I'm fascinated by the ocean. I'm fascinated by uh, astronomy. I wanted to be an astronomer. And... Um, Due to a, a strange sort of situation in my high school at the time, basically um, my counselor at the at at that time saying, "Oh, you can't do those things. You know, you don't. Your math your math scores aren't good. Go to the military." And at that time, you know, kids really, or at least I did. I mean, here's authority. Here is my counselor saying you can't do this dream. And so, for a moment, um, I didn't know what to do because I had been telling myself that that's who I am. I'm I'm a science guy. I want to, you know, do science. And it wasn't until, so I floundered around for a while in high school. And then I think my junior year, um, there's there's a lot of serendipity in, in this particular story. For some strange reason, I don't know if it was puberty kicked in, I don't know, but I sort of suddenly discovered that I had a sense of humor. And, um, I started to use it, and so um, people started saying, "Hey, you're funny." Uh, and I think because I was a shy kid and I was you know classic nerd and all that stuff, I had a facility for you know jokes, making you know doing voices, on, you know crazy stuff that that kids do, kids like me do. Um, but in this during the period span of one week. I had three friends say to me, you're funny, you should try out for the school play. Um, the third time I heard it, I thought, maybe I should try out for the school play. People keep telling me this. So I, I did. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I got a part. It was a it was a, a, a musical children's theater musical uh called The Incredible Jungle Journey of Fenda Maria, which to this day I have no idea what it was about, but and, and I had one of the leading roles. Um but there is there was something infectious. First of all, I found my people. I hadn't really had people, you know. Um that's what, you know, today my kids all say, I you know, I I, I found my people. Um that back then i guess we said you know we you know had friends or like minds theater departments for some reason high school theater departments and even in the college level always tend to draw disparate elements from you know the rest of the of the institution so you'll have you can have the football guy you can have the physics um <laughs> a student uh, and they all either want to be actors or they want to be it's not that they want to be actors it's that they they enjoy the process and some guys are technical anyway all of that uh led to me finding friends and uh i think that was the biggest thing and once you start hanging around with a group you you know you're interested in what the group is interested in so i i i did plays, and I can we you know we had competitions back then where high schools would compete against each other for um, um, drama or comedy scenes and things like that, and I, and I did well in that world. When I got to college, I was a communications major, which I always say is the most nebulous major of all time. So. I, was, I was business management. Same thing. It's just one of those
0: bullshit. No one ever oh, follows okay, it. Okay. It's the same thing. I like, oh, What is business management? I don't
1: know. I, I, I want to get a degree. That's what it comes what out to me. Right. But um, uh, I, had, I had some scholarships there based on um, acting. You know, the head of the department at the, at the time um saw me in a play somewhere and hey if you come to Western Illinois University, you know, you know, you'll we'll give you some money. So that was a big thing. And I think I changed majors halfway through my first year because I was now totally bitten by the bug, you know, um by the acting bug. And uh I think my plan at that point became I was gonna graduate. I was maybe gonna get a masters. Um before settling down, I would, I, my plan was, I was going to, you know, tour the Midwest, um, regional theater, um, and do it until I couldn't take any anymore, and then settle down at some college town and teach. And that to me was great. It sounded great. Um, I love theater to this day. I can go to a a high school play and I am absolutely enraptured. I'm sitting there, you know. And my kids always laugh at me, you know. If, the, if for once, one or other reason, they happen to be with me, Dad, it's, it's a high school play, and I go, Shh, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> you know, we don't say shut up in my house. But um, so I think around that time, so it would have been sophomore year, something like that. I realized, oh, I want to do this, but I had no idea about TV movies that because at that point for me those weren't actors. That wasn't what I thought of as acting. I thought acting, it was on, you know, on stage. So that where I, where I ended up was, was, was in a weird way, kind of totally out of, out of left field for me. So,
0: so that was your, you wanted to be in the theater. So when you graduate, do you go to New York and say, this is where theater is? Or do you stay? Because Chicago had a scene too. Chicago the, the, Absolutely. The improv scene in Second City, yeah. and TV shows were shot there, but you weren't into yeah. that yet. So what was your plan when you graduated? Do you want to go to Chicago, or do you want to go to New yeah.
1: York? I, was, I wanted to go to Chicago, because just as you said, you know, Chicago's a great theater town. And at that time, I graduated in the, you know, uh, but, you know in the 80s. But uh, at that time, Chicago was hot. actors because you know steppenwolf guys were becoming famous you know gary sinise uh gary cole who later became a friend of mine from the good wife uh uh john malkovich all those guys were becoming stars movie stars and so i thought hey you know i'll go to chicago and and do theater there um but it didn't last long i think i lived in chicago essentially for the summer after graduation, and uh, and soon, just entering in fall, I believe of that year, I wound up getting my first movie job, which was Hamburger Hill.
0: Now, how did that come um, about? I mean, because you know, once yeah. once again, it's funny. There's so many people that concentrate strictly on TV and movies. For you, yeah. it was the other way around. So, how did Hamburger Hill come up? When you you really it wasn't in your bandwidth, I'm guessing.
1: Not at all, not at all. I had gotten a summer job working uh... with a casting director, one of the biggest casting directors at the time, Jane Brody, who I think has since retired. Um, but she came to my university, saw me in a play, and kind of gave me. This is another one of those serendipitous moments where she kind of pulled me to the side. You know, at one point she got, you know gave me the sort of "Hey, kid, when you get to Chicago, give me a call," um, which is it's certainly encouraging and. So I did, and (laughs) she needed an assistant was what she really needed. But she also really liked my my acting. She liked me as an actor, and she told me. Um, As a weird result, we worked on films as, you know, she was a casting director, and now I was just an assistant. I was handing her resumes and, you know, setting up appointments and that kind of thing. Um, But one day, and this would have, yeah, this would have been like July around that time, June and July. She came in and she said, "Hey, boatman, there's this really good war movie that's auditioning, and 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 I got you an audition because what was, she wasn't auditioning it, but one of the other big casting directors. They used to be what they we, there used to be three big casting directors in Chicago, and they were all named Jane, Jane Brody, mine, and I. The other two Jane's names escape me at the moment, but. So she said, you you know, go get over to the Jane, whichever's office and audition for this part. Here's the here's the here's the here are the sides. And it was this character Motown. Um, Okay, kind of a middle class, but wisecracking kind of kid. I walked over to the audition. I had no idea what was (laughs) happening. Because, again, I I didn't no movies t v that wasn't at all in my in in my bandwidth, as you said, so I just sort of meander over and I have the audition um read the scene uh and seem fine. I go back to work at Jane Brody's. and I think maybe two two weeks later she called and um I was off that week or something. And um, she called and said, you got that movie. You got that, that Hamburger Hill movie. And I kind of went nuts because it was just, (laughs) I hadn't been in Chicago long enough to become bitter or, you know, competitive, you know, with other actors that would come later. But um, I just sort of felt like a kid who, you know, lucked into this thing and which also though led to, you know, when I actually got to the Philippines, which was where that movie was shot. Now I'm in the, I'm, uh, there's, I'm looking at Courtney Vance, Don Cheadle, uh, Steven Weber from so many things, Wings. Now, none of us had been in anything at that point. We were all, all of us pretty much fresh out of whatever drama school we'd gone to. But I was intimidated because I'm, here's this kid's little kid from Chicago, um, and I, I've always told people Chicago is a big city with a small town, um, Mentali- thought process, mentality. Mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Mentality in, in a good way, you know? Um, so I'm looking at these and then people, you know, Cheadle had come from LA, LA Yeah. And Weber was from Dylan McDermott, um, we're from New York, and I thought, "Oh my God, these guys are real actors. What am I doing here? They're going to find out I'm no good. You know, and they're going to my my first introduction to fraudster syndrome or something like that." But we bonded. It, it was an, it was a great. We spent four months in the jungles of the Philippines filming this movie we did and we did actual basic training at a at a uh, a marine base subic bay which i think has been has closed down since outside manila and we bonded and became and, and again i met lifelong friends there um great experience and then so for 4 months i was there so when i got back to chicago now i'm sorry I, that thing just came over um now i had to get an agent uh Again, Jane Brody says, go over to Harise Davidson, you know, talk get talk to her. You know, I told her all about you kind of thing. And what I didn't know at the time is, oh, it's easier to get representation in Hollywood when you have a job that they can cite, you know, whether it already happened months ago or, well, this kid's obviously serious and and he's in this movie and, you know, we can end. So Harise Davidson, a big agent in Chicago, um, you know, offered to represent me. And I said, sure. And c- things kind of, kind of took off from there. I was and, but uh, so it, a long, long way around your question, answering your question. Um, I didn't even stay in Chicago very long because I went to New York because my agent at the time said, you got to go to New York because that's, you know, there's just more opportunities there. Now uh, I went to LA. I was
0: going to say, did China uh, Beach, what, because, okay, China Beach Cape, which is another military, yeah. which is just yeah. funny how you know when you said if you have not work and they, back especially back then they if they yeah. saw the the type like oh,
1: he can do military,
0: so did China yeah. Beach happen very quickly when when you moved
1: very quickly, I was in New York for a year, and I did a couple of things off Broadway, I was taking classes, I had the you know um I had a day job um so I could audition you know. Or, no, I had a midnight shift. I used to. I used to guard New York telephone buildings. Do you remember New York telephone? Yeah. That company. I don't even know what happened to them. Um, but I did that so I could, you know, audition in the days, during the day. And uh, yeah, about a year after I got there, I, my agent at the time, called and said, "Oh, you know, there's this TV pilot for a Vietnam War, for the Viet, you know." And at that point. That was, there was a hot, there was a moment where, you know, the Vietnam War, I guess it takes, maybe someone told me it takes 20 years for us to process these great sort of national upheavals, like, you know, and and when when we do process it, suddenly we all seem to process it at the same time. So suddenly there were just tons and tons of Vietnam projects going around that I auditioned for. Um, I played a Vietnam. I played a wounded Vietnam vet on an episode of uh, Quantum Leap with Scott Bakula. But the audition for uh, China Beach came, and uh, they liked me. They flew me out to LA to test for the network. <laughs> I'm laughing because, and I don't remember who this actor ever turned out to be, um, but. I remember sitting there again. Here's here's me. Wow, what am I doing here? This is unbelievable. Nobody seems to know that I, you know, I'm you know, I'm a fraud. Um, and there was one other actor in contention for the role of uh, Beckett. Samuel Beckett was the character, and uh, <laughs> he must have sensed that I was insecure because he came out of his audition. He went in first. And he walked past, and he literally said something to me like, "You don't. Even, you shouldn't even bother to go in." What man. a I dick! This. I what a this. dick! Yeah, absolutely. I wish. I wish <laughs> I could remember who it was. This is thirty years ago plus, thirty plus. Because I'm pretty sure whoever he was, he. I think he went on to become, you know, known um, from other projects. I just can't remember who it was. But again, my heart sank because. Oh, wow, this guy, you know, he must really know. Then I go in, and I have the, have the audition, and it it goes great. Um, And I walk out thinking, well, it was a nice, I stayed in a hotel for a weekend, you know, they flew me to L.A., got to, well, maybe one day I'll come to L.A. You know, that could be interesting. You got the job. They told me that night, uh, before I even left, you got the job. And I... What i you know back then, and even today a little you you know I still have enough of that kid in me sometimes to marvel at how fortunate I've been and how uh varied my career has been you know um all things that I certainly worked for and worked hard for uh but there's enough of of that kid left in me to you sort of you know and be very grateful about. Really every single moment of it. But back then when I was young and and spry, I I would physically, I went crazy. I jumped, I I might've done a backflip. I, I, you know, in at Warner brothers, in the actual office, I was, you know, I called my mother, my, I'm on this TV show. I can't believe it. It's a pilot. And, uh, um, (laughs) and then, uh, we did the pilot. It was, another great experience. I met Dana Delaney and Marg Helgenberger and Brian Wimmer and, uh, the cast of the, Robert Picardo, uh, Bob Picardo. Um, and we started doing this show that you, we, I immediately fell in love with because, um, it was, a, it took a different tack. This was about the nurses in, at, um, Um, mobile hospitals in in, you know during Vietnam so Dana Delaney was of course the star Colleen McMurphy the nurse and I was the guy who ran the morgue and had to talk and I talked to the dead bodies and you know I, I was the guy who and I got a little obsessed they called me Dr. Death in the pilot and I was kind of an outcast and you know just a great great part you know
0: now, now, what is that like? You know, you, you had the movie on your, one of your first auditions. And now, in, in a quick time, you're a regular on a network series. And I try to tell people, networks were different back then.
1: Even yeah. if it
0: was a low-rated show, millions of people watched it. Because there wasn't, yeah. I mean, there was, you know, I think HBO was new. Or if it hadn't, nothing was around. So, yeah. you know, people watched it a lot. So what's that like for you? Because, as you said, you're going through this... He's still this little bit of a fraud syndrome, because I think they're going to find yeah. out. Do you sit there and all of a sudden, when you get on the set, go, well, you know what? I, I have to be good because I'm on a network TV show.
1: You know, I did. <coughs> I think my, my self-esteem at that point in my life was um, pretty low, first of all. And uh, I, I the way I sort of grew up was, hey, you know, take it easy slow down you know uh bugs bunny don't 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 get ahead don't get above yourself kind of thing so again so with all sort of combined for me in this way of you know sort of oh you know you know don't don't make too much noise because someone you know someone's going to find out but I, I think what i've loved about my career apart from the great roles that i've been able to play um comedy and drama um is i'm always drawn in like i was even in high school by the people you know uh dana delaney we all became friends we still communicate that show was 1987 to 1991 i think when it finally when it ended it was three seasons but um and that always made it fun you know the the chemistry on the set um I really responded to and that, and and I've I've also been incredibly lucky. I've yet to work on a set where, you know, uh, it's, there's a positive, there's a, I mean, there's a negative vibe, you know, I, I, you know, you hear stories about actors misbehaving and I've been incredibly fortunate to, to have been able to avoid that. But, um, I, I, I had fun, you know, I was 20, Jesus, 23, I think. Um, And that was the start, and that was sort of when, of course, I started, you know, people started recognizing me on the street, and, you know, hey, you're the guy from, and Hamburger Hill came out somewhere in between that, in that period. Um, Hamburger Hill came out in 1987, I believe, and it was swamped by uh, Platoon, which came out, like, two months previous, and Full Metal Jacket, which was six months before you know what i mean there was just a wave of vietnam movies that all got you know released around the same time uh but when i started to i can actually remember the first time someone came up to me on the street i was in new york hamburger hill was out in the theaters and a woman just said hey aren't you in hamburger hill and i and i my, my reaction was how'd you know that how do you what? Uh, do I know you? Who are you? Who? Who are you? You were really good. Oh my God! What a great movie! My dad was in Vietnam, and he loved it. And suddenly, I sort of realized, oh, that this can happen. I, yeah. I mean, so I, like I said, the whole idea of being, you know, famous or well-known or whatever from TV and movies—that had never occurred to me back in the day. I was a theater kid. And that's what I always thought. Um, what my what my career would turn out to be.
0: Now, when China Beach ends, where are you mentally? Because you know, as you said, it's it's you're young, and you know, yeah. when you think about it, when you graduate college, when you're at that age, twenty three, you said twenty four, you get out of college, you get that first job, and you know, no one really lasts. The whole time for the job. So you're growing. You're going, well, my first job out of college, I sold fax machines. That's how old I am. I would have sold copiers, but I drove a Fiero, and the copier wouldn't fit in a, a Fiero. But, uh, of but So when you when that job is done, what are you looking at to do in your career? Or are you just saying, you know what? I just had a hit show. I was on a show. I don't have to jump right now because you probably made some good money. So you're sitting there and going, you know, what did you want to plan? Because you ended up being on the Jackie Thomas show, which, you know, was, is, you know, was that just something that came out of the blue? Or what was your plan when China Beach ended?
1: When China Beach ended, first of all, I was devastated. You know, for all of your viewers, uh, I, can, I can only I can plug that they have finally released an unbelievable um, compilation on, on and I'm sure it's streaming now. Uh, because the show was never uh, never really went into syndication un- until way lo- longer, you know, than it should have, um, and and the big problem was all the music, because all the re- you know Diana Ross and the Supremes. I mean, the music that we that that show was set to were the hits from the sixties, and Warner Brothers at the time did not want to have to pay all those royalties. So the fact that the show had all these songs kind of held us back in terms of in terms of appearing in um, uh, 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 um, syndication right but um, I got over it and by now I'm I I I've understood that I'm a professional actor this is what I do so what's next and also around that time I started getting offers you know that I had an audition for necessarily hey you know somebody wants you on quantum leap for instance or producers of the show saw saw you and loved you so you know they they that would become an offer for you know gigs now these are guest stars and um tv movies you know which i don't even know i guess they do them on lifetime now but um movies for television <laughs> you know i know you remember them. i remember them. um and those were great you know um but in the, the series idea, then I, I guess I entered that phase where every actor in L.A. gets, which is, okay, now you're auditioning. Now you're, you know, because even though I was getting offers, I still, you know, had to, you know, keep that part of my career going because people would now call and say, hey, they love you. They want They want you to come in and meet them. Um, and then maybe from there they'll decide, and that was fine. And I had, and I'm actually, I'm an actor that actually loves to audition. Um, I didn't realize it at the time because the the sort of zeitgeist among the actors of my vintage was most of them, you know, Oh, I hate auditioning. Oh, it's, you know, I, I loved it because it always felt to me. And as I got older, I began to love it even more because it always felt to me, well, here's a chance to do the thing I love to do in front of a room full of people, um, which is act. And uh, so I, you know, toured around. I did a couple of, um, I think I played Tom in Glass Menagerie in San Francisco in this period, excuse me, um, and uh, loved it. And, and somewhere around, I think, 92, I think maybe the Jackie Thomas show comes up, which was Tom Arnold's show produced by Roseanne, who was red hot on fire at at that point. Um, And her show shot right next door to our studio. So Tom and Roseanne would always interact with each other. Um, And that, that was, a great experience. Paul Feig was on that show. He's now a big, big director, you know, that directed, uh, the last ghostbusters and a lot of great movies. Um, uh, just, just a great cast. And again, you know, made, made some friends. Um, and that show only lasted for one season, but we had a great, you know, and back then a season was 22 episodes. Uh, so that was great. And, um, then I, I I think I had a bit of a I think there was a bit of a lull maybe oh uh, there was you know. China Beach had we had had that was my first actor strike, uh, over the period of China Beach because I remember talking about people saying are you gonna are you gonna walk are you gonna cross the line and all of this stuff that I had no idea what people were talking about, so it was either during China Beach or right after. Um, because we were still working and it didn't affect us but I, I distinctly remember something about and by then the right the, the rights that people were worried about were vid- VHS, you know what are we going to do about VHS you know that people can rent movies now and or they can rent well, they didn't rent TV shows yet but and we don't get paid for that and oh and I actually remember Steve I actually remember thinking wow that that's that's an amazing change from never being able to catch your favorite shows. If you missed it that first time, you'd have to, you had to wait for summer. I tell my kids this and it's like, they, oh,
0: it's yeah. a whole
1: other world. You had to wait for the summer reruns. Um, and it, probably, my son said, what are reruns? Right. <laughs> you know? um, now you could record them. My now wife, my wife does that.
0: My wife records, I swear our DVR, is full of so much stuff. Like I'll sit there. She has the Hallmark movies, and then the episodic, and this, and I'm like, yeah. I look and yeah. I'm like, oh my god! There's sometimes there's like three things getting recorded, but it's great because one also you fast forward through the commercials. So because you know we, we don't yeah. recognize, and it's weird because we we love Fargo on FX, and they oh, do the, yeah. they do the long oh. opening. and You're like, all oh, right, and then all of a sudden, then it's like eight minutes commercial, eight minutes commercial, and you're like, oh, oh. so it it makes it it makes it good.
1: Yeah, and we definitely, I think, as a culture, as a society, we, when when I see something, I maybe maybe there's a movie on that I love on, you know, T, CNN, not CNN, what, is it, Turner Classic Movies or whatever, um, and then when the commercial breaks in, it's almost like what what's that? Well, what? Why am I watching this? And then I'll aim, you know, my remote, and no, no, there's nothing to there's nothing to, you know. Nothing to you gotta if you're sitting regular sort of network TV, you gotta you gotta do the commercials. But again, it was sorta of similar with VHS, because that was the other thing. You didn't have to watch the commercials. So I think I've been through three actor strikes, maybe. Um this last one was so traumatic, I you know I don't even like to think about it, but um uh yeah, so that again, there was always great you know, being on a series is great for, you know, know, of course, money and all of that stuff, but it's also great for helping you get other jobs, (laughs) you know, because, you know, it it, it then becomes less about, yeah, you still got to be right for the part in terms of what what the director and the producers are looking for. It just sort of puts you at the head of the line for, to be seen, to be, you know, to go and have those meetings and those offices
0: well, no, how how did that? Arliss and Spin City come up? Cuz at that time, as you said, you didn't do that. You didn't do, you know, two shows. Yeah. I mean, I I just talked to Greg Grunberg and he was shooting Alias and Felicity at the same time. But oh, that's years wow. that's years later. But for you, how did these both these shows come because the characters are completely different. I mean, completely it's not different. I mean completely different and I want to talk about your character in Spin City because, you know, it was mm-hmm. it was an iconic character cuz, you know, being gay yeah. wasn't how... People didn't talk right. about it then. But so right. what came first, Spin City or Arless?
1: <clears throat> now you've asked a very difficult question because there is a story behind it and I have to be careful how I tell the story. Um, my awareness of the show, the, my first awareness of the show was Arliss. Um, And I had no idea... You know what this was. You know it was sports agents. I, I think my character initially was only supposed to be in the pilot, maybe. Um, so okay, great. You know I go Stanley Babson. You know audition for the for Robert Wool and whoever else, uh, Michael. Oh God, can't remember the produce executive producer's name. Oh my, such a great guy. But um, and then you know forgot about it. I auditioned later. The audition for spin city came along. Um, and they, I didn't have to, to, I didn't have to audition until I met Gary David Goldberg, who was the creator of family ties and Brooklyn bridge, which was such a great show. Um, but Gary had, he was one of those producers, kind of old school. He was one of those producers who could say, I want this one and that, you know, shut up network, who, you know, screw you kind of thing. So he was able to bring me in directly to meet him and Michael J. Fox. So I met, and I, by the, by this point, Arliss wasn't even in my mind because it had been a couple of weeks, you know. Um, so I meet those guys for Spin City, and the way it unfolded for me was... Uh, I got the call about Spin City first, right? And then later that same day, I believe, I then got a call, hold on. Remember that sports show you, you auditioned for a couple of weeks ago? And I went, yeah, sports agents, something. Yeah, they want you. And I go, but what about Spin City now? You know, HBO wasn't new, but, you know, TV series on HBO, I think it was, we were pre-Gary Shandling, for instance, Uh, I can't remember the the timeline, but um, now here's here's a network, uh, here's a huge star, Michael J. Fox, and it's guaranteed 22 episodes on air, Um, so there was that moment for me of, I first, you know, my manager was like, well, you're going to have to make a choice. Because And no one knew what any schedule was at that point. So everybody assumed it was going to clash schedule-wise. Um, so in my mind, I had decided I was going to go for the network show. And maybe they, if they were willing to negotiate on the other show, I'd come in for a few episodes, whatever. Um, then I hear, the next thing I hear is, you you got both shows. And I said, what? Well, well, my, wonder, my wonderful agent of the time, um, he's not my agent now, um, but he was, he's, is, was and is a great agent, Bob Gersh. Uh, he, he did his magic. He did whatever great agents do, and, and he worked it out. And it just so happened that he, I think the, the, the opportunity he saw was that Arliss was going to shoot in the summer months. And Spin City would rap, for the season, uh, February, I think something like that. And, so, and I would wow! I'd even have a little time off in between the gigs. Um, the reason I have this big smile on my face was years later when both shows were were basically, um, yeah, we're not in production anymore. Uh, I got a completely different story from one of the executive producers, which sort of led me to believe that Arliss came first in terms of the offer, and my brilliant agent, Bob Gersh, you know, made it happen that, in which is what an agent's job is, to, to serve the client, right? And... Uh, but I didn't hear it until years later from one of the executive producers said, let me tell you, I've been wanting to tell you this for, I don't know what this voice is I do for producers, because it's like, you know, hey, kid, come on, you're, you're going to be great, kid. You're going to be a star, I tell you. Uh, and the producers don't sound anything like that. But uh, years later, he went, boy, your agent's really tough. And I said, yeah, he's great, Bob Gersh. And he goes, yeah. and uh, <laughs> And then he tells me this story you know, we offered you this show first. And I went, oh, because I, I really honestly didn't know. But it worked out. And, and, and then I, and then I was told I was on this list, like you and Heather, you and Heather Locklear of all people.
0: Well, now Spin City, when Mm -hmm. you went for the audition, was it a gay character? Absolutely. So now how as an actor, do you prepare? Because one, you don't want to go overboard Even though TV at that time was sort of looking at overboard, I mean it was a different genre. It was a different time, but then you don't want to go too underboard because then the audience is going to go, "This guy's not gay," you know. So how do you prepare as an actor? And you're, you know, how do you prepare to do that role? Is it you just, you know, you just sit there and say, "I'm going to go in and be myself," but I mean, how do you do that? Because that to me that'd be very challenging. Because you don't want to insult anybody because, you know, of if course. you're auditioning and there's a gay writer and you're overly flamboyant or they're, they're this or that, they are going to go, that's that's not gay. Okay. So how did you prepare for that audition?
1: That's such a great question because there actually is a really great answer to it. I was fortunate enough at the time to have, and listen, when you're in the theater, gay is what? It's nothing. So I, of course, had gay friends and but one particular friend of mine, um, Jim, was a he was a really kind of classic American gay man story in the, this regard, in that he was from I believe somewhere in the south, might have been Texas, might have been Georgia. He was from Georgia. Fairly affluent family. Uh, father was I don't know some some bigwig executive down there, and my friend. Uh, Jim was, is, um, probably six, four, three, um, great shape, blonde, blue-eyed, you know, totally frat boy type, when you look at him. And, but he's gay, and had a partner at the time, and what I, so I started talking to him when I got this part, because I was afraid of exactly what you described, the only other gay, black character on TV at that time was the guys from In Living Color, and I think, I can't remember, oh, Damon Wayans, I think, but they were doing the kind of yeah. snaps, you know. And this guy was not that. Carter Haywood was not that kind of a of a character. Um. And what Gary David Goldberg told me, and he actually told me this later, but it made sense when I figured out his, his decision process, what made him... Pick me. He said, What I what I loved about you immediately was that you brought dignity to the role. And I thought, wow. Well, and even then, even for instance, before I had kids, I was always very conscious of images and the power of images. Um and particularly as a minority, you know, I mean now we say representation and we say diversity and all those, you know, wonderful words. But back then it was almost more crucial because there were so few characters of uh, people of color on regular network uh, network shows. I believe at one point Blair Underwood and I were the only two black men on network series regulars on, on network shows at that time because he was on LA law and I was on uh, at that time it was China beach. Um, but, um, because we talked about it at a at the Emmys one year do you realize it's just the two of us you know kind of thing so I was always aware and I did again didn't want to offend people but I wanted to be true to the spirit of my friends and the people who I knew who were gay and I so jim Jim became my friend Jim became kind of my what would I say almost a mentor <laughs> in that he told me he gave me some books to read, you know, he said, read this book. And it was, you know, I don't even remember the books now, but he sort of, he's a lawyer, he's an attorney. And, and he prided himself on, it's not that he prided himself on appearing straight, but he was concerned because I was asking him, what do you think? And, And he was like, well, I hope you're not, you know, this. And he referenced those characters on, on the other show at that point. And I said, no, 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 this guy's, you know, and his, his, um, his background, Carter's background was, you know, uh, college, I believe football player, which ironically, my friend Jim was, I mean, my point is that when that Jim for me was the template of this character, because he was an all American, he was the all American boy, you know, the boy next door and he's gay. And I think at the time his dad maybe was not good with it. you know, he struggled like many people did and do with, um, coming out and all that stuff. So I, I, some part of me started to think, well, if, if if it wouldn't offend Jim, then it's good, you know, in terms of the behavior, and and yet also I wanted to stay true to the character and 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 find those moments where the audience could embrace, the, you know that this is a gay man, a gay black man, on in this show that I'm watching, and that it, maybe it could be someone that they could recognize. So I was always cognizant of of of. Honoring that, I think every, you know, TV role I've had, every movie role, everything, every theater role, I always want to sort of honor that character, and and I don't want to demean or, I mean, if the character is a scoundrel or a villain, you know, and I haven't gotten to play that very often. I played a horrifically evil man on an episode of Criminal Minds, which to this day, people I get recognized from that one episode. Every day I played a lawyer who was, you know, secretly murdering his daughter's best friends. You know, horrible, horrible. Um, But so much fun. So much fun to be a villain. Um, But I wanted to honor that character. I wanted to, you know, I didn't I never want my judgment as a human being, as a person to show through the character. You know, I think an actor's work is to embody the character, move the story along. You know, and not make it any more than what it says on the script, than what you and the director kind of work out in that process.
0: Now, so now yeah. going to ask you about Spin City.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How how did the gay community take to it? Because oh my God. it's you know because yeah. sometimes like you you talk to people who play a cop, and they go, oh cops yeah. like Southland, the people, the yeah. cops, oh this is great. How did they did Because one thing it it was. Gay representation, as you said there wasn't yeah. a lot of I mean I don't yeah. I think this was yeah. did Ellen Kiss do the on screen kiss yet or was that after I'm not sure of time frame. But th- it yeah, wasn't it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that was on TV and so how did the
1: gay yeah. community take to you? Did they were they happy with your portrayal? Unbelievable, yes. To and still to this day, I got you know, unbelievable support from the gay community um, which made me feel great. You know, um, I always laugh and joke because, you know, at the time, uh, I would encounter, um, traveling back and forth between the two cities to work. I encountered, um, a gay man, uh, who actually was also black and, um, he was a flight attendant working the flight and he leaned down at one point uh, as I was leaving or or as I was exiting the plane or something and he said I just want to tell you that I was a little kid in a small town in the south and I knew I was different from you know birth but I didn't understand what was happening and and I didn't know that there were other people who were like this and then when I got to be however old he was you 18, 19 or whatever your show came on and it 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 I, he, the gentleman actually said it, it kept him from killing himself, and the reason I get choked up when I hear that is or when I think about that is you know most actors it's a, it's a job, you know it's a great part. I love it. Uh, you know I love the money, but we don't, uh, we don't realize how um, that it's still because've i had since I, since then I've had people more than him more than one person say that to me uh mostly men, but yeah pretty much most exclusively men i don 't think a woman's ever said it, but there's a, there's there's that interesting sort of it 's not a division between the lesbian community and the gay male community i i don 't know there's a different distinctions, but in my case, it was always a gay man of whatever ethnicity but when when someone tells you something like that that your your work you know, um, affects them, you know, kept them alive. It's shocking. You know, it was shocking to me. And I think about as a TV kid, how I, um, yeah, TV was, I mean, growing up, uh, yeah, TV was for me, TV was real. You know, I knew it wasn't real, but it was real somehow. I don't know. And I was a sci-fi fan. I was into Doctor Who and Monty Python and that kind of stuff. And I remember missing those episodes because there was no no recording them at that time and being crushed for like a week because then someone would say, oh, did you see this week? Oh, you know. So then I said, then I added that, just that little angst to I've never seen anyone like me in the world, much less on TV. And then my character shows up and this young man said, you know, I was really feeling suicidal. And then I and then seeing your character and the way you played him play him um, made me feel like, oh, there's other people out there like me. I'm not a freak, you know. And it then made as this gentleman flight attendant told me, he said it made him sort of, you know, open his eyes to what. We all know now, of course. You know, there's always been gay people and bisexual people, but just that thought, uh, he stopped me, which is why to this day I I bring up the story and it uh, it still gets me. But he and I, because I didn't know what to do with that. You know, uh, you you and you never made. He said the, the the young man said to me, and you never made fun of of us, and you never. You know, you really made it okay to be gay, and in this case, gay and black. I've heard the same thing from (laughs) gay Asian men, gay uh, Hispanic men. You know, so it's, we're all human, and we all sort of struggle with the same thing. So in terms of a response, I I used to say, oh, my God, I'm a gay superhero, and my friends would go, what do you mean? Because I get celebrated everywhere I go. If there's gay people on a plane, or, you know, and I, I'm invited to GLAAD every year, and you know, occasionally I still get an invitation to the GLAAD ceremonies and all of that stuff. And nobody's ever been anything but great. I honestly don't know if it could happen today.
0: You know, uh, you know. Going back to that time, I, I gotta say, when you think about it, you when you were doing both shows, what fascinates me is. You were, both were very well written, okay? Yeah. Both had phenomenal cast. I mean, like, Connie Britton's in everything now, you know? I mean, you sit there, and, you know, Sandra Oh, and, you know, I, I mean, for an actor... Carla
1: Cagino was in the first six episodes, the pilot and the first six episodes. And then
0: Jennifer Esposito was, I mean, you know, it's just, it's amazing, you know, as an actor, that must be, like... Winning the all star game in the World Series in the same year, I mean what yeah. was it what was your mindset when you were sitting there because you knew you were going to set and you said there were both great sets every day yeah. you got you got to not only live the actor 's dream of being on a on a show, which I said in the opening, right. but you were on yeah. two shows, and there were two great shows now I know Arliss got no one expected to get Carl canceled because Jim Turner said he had a birthday party set for him, and all of a sudden got canceled. But what is it like when you're just going back and forth? I mean, you have to be the happiest person around.
1: Yeah, it's true. I I, I was very happy. At the very end of the day, I love I what I do. And if I can do it on stage, if I do it in, in front of a camera, whatever. But I love that process of getting a character, getting it right, I always say. Um, and so... I do nine months on spin city and laugh every day with, you know, my new, my friends at the, at the, at the moment, Richard kind, and, you know, and Alan rock and Michael Fox. And, um, and then we'd rap, And then it was, now other friends would go oh I'm doing a movie with George Clooney or I'm doing a whatever, you know, and I go, Oh, well, I've got a series. I've got a whole other series to do, you know? And a character that I love. I loved Stanley. I loved Stanley Babson. What did you love about I so him? I Carter. What did you love about him? I loved his persnicketiness. I loved that he was, you know, <laughs> sort of, I just loved that he was conservative and he was the money guy. And I had so much fun playing him. Um, but I loved Carter because he also had, of course, you bring whatever elements you possess to every role. But I think what's fun is you get to explore your own persnicketiness for instance and and it just for me, it just took off like and and you know when the writers are smart and they were very smart on both shows, they would see moments that an actor would you know create with with their words and if it worked the the great thing the greatest t v writers I've ever worked with always take what the actor gives and when it works and it, it gets a laugh whether it's in front of a live audience or you crack up the crew on a single camera show whatever they go ah Footman's good at that he's good at wordplay let's do let's do some more of that um or you know carter's you know a, a neat freak let's 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 figure out how to you know and hence you kind of it's a in a weird way it's a collaborative effort to build a character too because you're doing what the writers create what they wrote for a character that you know some writer created but uh, Arliss was interesting in that it was a single camera show both shows um well oh and and well okay for your audience who may not know so single camera is your is your you know your law and order you know uh type show and then spin city was a sitcom of course and we shot in front of a live audience 300 people every week which to me was like the best combination of everything there are real people sitting in the, in the audience, and here I am, you know, but it, but also there's ten million people out there watching it because, as you said, I mean the numbers I believe that I want to say the numbers of people that watched Michael J Fox's episode, I think it was forty million people watched that show, and normally during our during our height, I think we averaged fifteen. Today, that would be a phenomenal success. Because I don't even know if there's a show on TV today in on the networks that has 15 million people watching it every week. God, you know, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. But um, so in that instance, it was like, I not only have these 300 people, but I've got a whole, there's a whole other audience out there. But for me, it was still fun to make those 300 people laugh, right? Um, and for our Ar- with Arless as a single camera show, there was no audience, but we had a great crew. Who <laughs> if funny stuff happened, they'd laugh. And, um, I wish there were Ar- Arless bloopers. I, you know, there are Spin City blooper reels around somewhere. I wish there were Arless bloopers because the and the fun thing, of course, about Arless was we got to curse, we got to swear, we got to drop f bombs. Well, with,
0: um, with Arless, as I said, you didn't know it was getting it was going off the air. Now, what about Spin City? Did Did you know Spin City was ending?
1: Yeah. Um, when the show moved, so after Michael um, retired, essentially, and then, of course, he sort of came back on shows like The Good Wife, and he and I worked together on that a few times, and The Good Fight as well. But after he retired originally, um, the show moved to L.A., and as... As you can read anywhere, you know, everyone says, you know, oh, that's when the show, you know, jumped the shark, if you will. I disagreed because I think certain elements of of the dynamic that Charlie brought to the show were great. Charlie could have been Mike's character as easily because Gary Goldberg was also a mentor of Charlie Sheen's because he and Charlie had worked together on something, I can't remember. And he loved Charlie. Always wanted to work Charlie into the show somehow. Um, but I think that what was missing was New York. I mean, the, the great thing about that show, Spin City specifically, was if you had a scene set in Central Park, we went to Central Park. If we had a scene sh- set in the Empire State Building, we were there. And, and you can't, there are there are shots, and the uh, director of photography was a wonderful man, Dickie Quinlan. There, there are shots from that show that, that, you know, funny thing happens, pull back, and there's the New York City skyline. Uh, wow, you know. There's Michael J. Fox doing the Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm the king of the world, going across the Hudson River on a ferry I, with Richard Kind <laughs> holding his legs. And then, the, and then the camera sweeps up, and there's the New York City sky. You know, that's not a sitcom that's not even most television, uh, you know, dramas today. Um, uh, certainly on, you know, on the networks, but, um, we were told I, we were, I got the call from Gary, Gary David Goldberg at the end of the sixth, no, fifth season fifth week, sixth season that the show, you know, was not coming back. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, it was great working with you. and We worked together again, and we did, you know, on a on a project. Um, but, there, you know, it's sad. There's sadness. But sort of in another answer to an earlier question, because, of course, there's also panic. Oh, shit, well, you know, what am I going to do? Oh, sorry, I swore.
0: That's fine. And I, I was going to ask you that question. What were you going to do? Because both shows yeah. ended at the same time.
1: Well, Arliss actually outlasted Spin City by one season. Okay. So we got another season of Arliss, which I, at one point, I remember thinking, I can't believe this show outlasted Spin City. Um, Spin City ended in whenever it was. uh, I can't remember, but basically, Arliss ended a year later. Um, So there was a comforting thing at that moment. Well, I still have Arliss. You know, I I, I got a whole series I got to gear up for. And that was a great thing, (laughs) you know. uh, Of course, also, you know, thinking about bills coming, I think by then I had, yeah, by then I had two kids. My two oldest daughters had been born. One in, one literally, I think, maybe the third week of production in Spin City, I think, Spin City. Um, And then the other one had been born subsequent to that four years later. So now I've got kids and, you know, of course, there's the moment of, well, now I'll be able to spend more time with, with the girls and still go off in the summer and hang out with, you know, Jim and Sandra and Robert. So it it was a pretty sweet spot to be in. And, 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 and yes, very unusual. But uh, I, I was very grateful for it and still am. So after that... What's your life like? Because you're
0: just on two shows. Now you have to get back in the grind. I mean, it must be yeah. weird if you're... Because any actor wants to work. So if you don't have a series Absolutely. coming to you right away, you're going to do guest stars. Well, now yeah. Oh, yeah. you're not top five on the sheet. Like for you, you were always... there. Were, of course, Michael was number one. And number Robert one, was number yeah. one. But it, it was yeah. everyone was together. But now yeah. you have to go. And it's not like you walk in and say... Oh, there's Jim, the cameraman who I've worked with for four years. What is that like yeah. for an actor? And mentally, what is that like? Is it do you, is it humbling? And not that it, not that you be arrogant about it because you're not. You're a nice guy, but is it sort of humbling when you, all of a sudden you walk on the set and it's like you don't have like the trailer that you can leave shit in because you know you're coming right. back next week.
1: What is that like for an actor? What was that like for you? Um, <clears throat> initially. And I I think maybe the first guest star I did was, I had mentioned, was the episode of Quantum Leap, where I played a Vietnam vet. Um, That was post-China Beach. So um, you go on. I think it really depends on on, um, the regulars, you know, the stars of the show. I've been told repeatedly over and over and over again by New York actors, for instance, You guys, I did the episode where Blue, 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 and you guys, I just remember you guys were so gracious and I was nervous. And and I think the great thing about our particular group, you know, Alan Rock, Richard Kind, of course, um, Barry Bostwick, uh, and and Michael, of course, but Michael was in his own sort of bubble as the star and executive producer. And also, what we didn't know at the time was he was, you know, he hadn't become uh, public about his struggle with Parkinson's. So he was, he was away from us a lot, you know, but we weren't sure why. So, so really it was kind of, we, with Connie Britton, for instance, and late and Esposito, we were kind of the core of, of, of a group of people who dealt with the sort of more with the guest stars. I'm just, I guess all I know is people like Jennifer Garner and, uh, yeah, oh, God. You know, I can't even remember. When you're on a show like that, and it's the same thing in, on shows like Law and Order. When you shoot in New York, you get a pick of, you know, great actors, and then as time goes by, you look at an episode, and you go, oh, my God, that's Jennifer That's Jennifer uh, Garner. I The episode I did with Quantum Leap, I had great scenes with Jennifer Aniston. She wasn't Jennifer Aniston. Then she was this actress that I worked with, and we had a great time. Uh, she was very sweet, and and then I don't know. However many years later, friends airs, and I go, "Wait, that's that, that's that, that's that girl from 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 Quantum Leap." But but, in terms of the the stars of the show making the actors feel at home, uh, Scott Bakula was unbelievable. You know, he you, two of the most gracious people I've ever worked with. He was one, and Christine Baranski on The Good Fight is is another. That just seem to effortlessly go out of their way to make everybody comfortable, you know. Um, And that's, of course, always um, a a great feeling because you, yeah, you are nervous, and it's like you're coming into someone's home and you don't know (laughs) the rules and you don't know the dynamics between everybody who likes who, who gets along, who doesn't. Um, What? cushions you a little bit is when you are known enough for people to you know you go on and so at least and this is a very classist sort of stratification of, of, of a lot of actors experiences I think a guy who's on for a day um, and again I've been very fortunate in that in this regard um, but when when the actors that you're going, whose show you're visiting know you from, from your shows, you know, there's a level of comfort that happens. I think where maybe the, if the guy who's only working there for a day or, or for half an hour might not necessarily feel comfortable, you know, talking to the star or whatever. And, and again, I've always worked with the, the, the the stars of the shows I've been on, have always been nothing but great which is, which, and I guess sort of set a tone for me, like, yeah, this, let's make people feel comfortable, and then everybody benefits, because everybody's performance is better, and, you know. So, so you've created a lot
0: of relationships. Now, is that how you ended up on anger management, because of Charlie, or how did that happen? Was that something that Charlie would, knew you? I mean, because I always say that, you know, no matter what you do, now the big thing is people say networking, and and anything you do in your life, you network, and it's just, now they make it like, hey, you're a networker. But for you, you know, you're working with those good people. Does anger management happen because of Charlie? Or does that, that get you in the door? Or how What happened with that?
1: Directly because of Charlie. Charlie and I became, over the run of the last two seasons of Spin City, he and I became really close. We got really close. And it's very interesting because Charlie had this reputation of, and this is pre uh, two and a half men, you know, uh, but, you know, he always had the reputation, bad boy and, you know, all of that stuff. He's one of the m- in just incredibly most generous spirited people I've ever met. Um, I've walked into rooms with him. I've walked into restaurants. I've walked into, we, we went and actually saw this, the weird, there's just like weird is life I keep using the word serendipity or serendipitous because my career has certainly been full of that. One moment, I'll, before I tell you how the gig came along, but Charlie and I had long been friends, and and he said, "Hey, let's go see a movie that's that was hot at the time. It was the it was Tropical Express or something. It was the movie with, uh, with Robbie, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, tropic tropic Thunder, name.
0: Tropic Thunder,
1: Tropic Thunder. Thank you, Tropic Thunder." So Charlie and I go see this movie. It's a really crazy story, Steve. We're sitting in essentially an empty theater because it was the middle of the day. Um, we, watch, we start to watch the movies. And they, in the film, because the film that they're shooting within the film is a Vietnam war drama, both of our characters get mentioned in the movie. In, in, or referenced in 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 like a a line Charlie's character had, you know, which is why he was even interested in seeing the movie in the first place. Because friends had said, "Hey, the moment where you and Willem Dafoe, because Charlie was in Platoon, so here here's one of the stars of Platoon sitting next to me, who now is one of my one of my best friends. Here's me from Hamburger Hill, and we're both." laughing hysterically because there's a couple of times where parts of both movies are mentioned <laughs> and and you just, what, how does this, you know, happen? But, um, Charlie called me, uh, pretty, I want to say, I don't know, maybe I, I used to stay with Charlie when I'd go to LA for pilot season. So geez, I think I did that for about four or five years. Um, uh, and he was always saying, I want to do another show with you. I want to do a show. I love our chemistry. And I said, I, yeah, I do too. And So when he uh, got approached by Lionsgate about um, uh, anger management, he said, I want Michael Boatman. Michael Boatman's got to be a part of it. Michael Boatman's got to be a part of it. And they called and said, hey, you know, we'd like you to, you know. Now, I wasn't a regular on the show, but I was in a lot of episodes. As Charlie's best friend, Michael, uh, and just again, I worked with Martin Sheen on that show. I, I <laughs> at one point he was a, a recurring character, and I was seeing. Now I had met Martin at Chartwell. I met Martin, I think, at two 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 of Charlie's weddings, um, and of course, one of the one of the greatest. One of the greatest, just a legend for me. And here I am across the set working with Charlie's dad. Oh, just call me Marty. It's Martin Sheen. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) Uh, okay, okay, Marty. But that was a fun, (laughs) that was a fun set. But, uh, again, um, Strangely enough, I want to say I think another show came along at that time, and I was bounced. Oh, I I ended up getting a recurring the recurring character I play to this day on Law and Order SVU, Dave Siever.
0: Yeah, you know I was going to say you, you know you know what's pretty amazing, and that segues into yeah. my next question, how you did the two shows at the same time we talked about, but then you're you were on The Good Wife, and then that transferred to The Good Fight. And then you were on Law and Order SUV. As I always, I, I always call SUV. My wife goes, "No, that's a car." I always say that. You
1: and I, you and I are exactly the same. But then you're I've not,
0: been on the show. But then you're also on cool. Law and Order as the same character. Yeah. So how does that happen? Like the good, like okay. So the good wife, you're on eighteen episodes. You get cast. Yeah. Oh,
1: wow.
0: Okay. And, and then yeah. you, you get the show goes ends, and then Good Fight starts, and they say, "We want you." They just come to you. Do you think they wrote that because they really liked your character, or did people like your character? I mean, it's something where, or do they like you? Because it, it must be weird that you sit there and one show is over, and then all of a sudden you have a bigger part on the next show, like the sequel.
1: Yeah, but playing the same character. Right. One thing about Robert and Michelle King, from of um, those both shows, The Good Wife and The Good Fight, they love actors. Um. And they really love great actors, so they they'd be excited. They'd be just as excited to 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 tell us, "Oh, you know who's playing that part? Uh, you know, Alan Alda. Uh, you know what?" Um, and uh, so they called, and they said we initially they wanted me for this new show, the Good Fight spinoff. Um, and initially they said, "Well." the plan for the character at at that moment was a recurring character in the first season and then a series regular after that. So again, yeah. Oh, I know what happened. Um, Somewhere around anger management time and law and order time, I also got a series regular on a show that, you know, people our age probably didn't watch, but it was on Nickelodeon, a show called Instant Mom, which, with Tia Mori, uh, which again, was another one of the great fun experiences, because, and also, now I'm number two on the call sheet. Wow! You know, I um, feel like, I was usually number four, number six, <laughs> so now I'm number two. Wow, you know, and and again, uh, that was created by a great writer, Howard Gould, Howard Gould and, um, great part i played a doctor who marries this hot young wife in 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 Tiamori, and i have three kids and she's got an instant mom and hence, hence the title so much fun on that show oh my god well somewhere around yeah i want to say probably the, the third season third and final season of instant mom is when the in the good fight started to because I, I had had to turn down a, uh, one or two um, offers for The Good Wife because now I'm a series regular on a show and I can't, you know, they, if, if they say I can't go, I can't go kind of thing. So they, um, the Kings called my manager and, oh, we love Boatman and we've got this. Well, it's the same part, Julius. What's great about them also, apart, apart from the fact that they love actors, is they love funny people. They love comedy. And you don't think of the good wife or the good fight first as a comedy. But there's but there's tons of, you know, humor in both shows. And they love actors who can play both sides of that fence, for sure. Um and that's what they told my manager, you know, we love Boatman and he's been able to do you know, they you know, so um Of course, I said, yeah, I loved working with them on The Good Wife. They were never anything but great. That whole set, Juliana, was great. Um, And, of course, there was Christine Baranski. Um, So now Christine Baranski is the star of of The Good Fight. And I meet another one of the most unbelievably gracious, uh, wonderful actors I've ever, ever had the pleasure to work with in, in Christine. This woman walks onto the set. Not only is she, excuse me, hot, uh she she's a dancer she's elegant darling oh darling you know what would sound pretentious on anybody else you just love it from her oh darling oh 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 it's wonderful to be here darling oh and she really means it she you know she played kind of a a bitchy character on the good wife um her character was sort of the, was the boss but also I mean, the, that, that show ended with her slapping Juliana Margulies' face, right? It made a big deal. So, and I'd worked with Christine enough to know that she was not like her character. You know, she's just incredibly sweet and gracious. But, you know, you never know how people are going to be. And now she's number one. She's the star. And, nope, same person, down to earth. I always know when an actress is willing to come to the set with her hair up in rollers. <laughs> right. That's a real person. Cuz not a lot do, you know. And no makeup. And I and, and, and I don't I hope that doesn't sound sexist, but I'm saying I remember looking and thinking, I'd have I've never seen an actress do that, you know, just come sort of as she We need you on the set for rehearsal. Oh, all right, darling. Hair curlers. Just Christine face. By itself, no glamour, no makeup, in her sweats. You know, I don't. I don't know if anyone in the world can imagine Christine Baranski in in sweats, or you know, they would be very stylish, sweats, right? Of course. But um, yeah. So they called. So again, I was kind of in the position, almost in a really weird way, with Good Fight and Instant Mom was. Was over by the time Good Fight actually began, um, and I had done. A, I did a couple episodes, I think, of SUV, ha, SVU. I always say it wrong. It's, it's, it gets to you.
0: Now, so you worked. I got to ask. You know, it's funny as I looked through. I've, you've had such a great career, and you ended up on a show that I only watch occasionally. My wife really got into it during uh, the pandemic. i not the pandemic. The uh, writer's strike, Ghosts. Oh. You,
1: yeah okay
0: now that show is funny our friend our good friend rose up did an episode that's what turned us on to it but okay was that something they just because now though you know once again you're playing good wife and you know it's you're an svu s SVU. you uh you're a lawyer and you know you're you know it's very uh-huh. staunch you're a staunch lawyer did they just come up to you and say hey you know what we know you could do because i know you could do comedy but how did that come about because that show is funny I and mean, that's a really yeah. funny show
1: It was such a great um, gig to get because um, the two executive producer creators are both named Joe, so they call them the two Joes. I can't remember their last names. Uh, My manager calls and says, "Oh, you know, the two Joes want you for a a guest star, possible recurring character on on Ghosts," and I hadn't seen the show either. Um, So I go, "Oh, great! Shoots in Montreal. Okay, it's February." Okay, wow. I grew up in Chicago, and Chicago remains the most vicious winters I've ever experienced. I mean, when you've got sub-zero temperatures, and it's completely, and there's no snow. To me, the worst days in a Chicago winter, late winter particularly, are the days with no snow. Because snow seems, it softens everything. It seems to suck up some of the, I don't know, some of the cold When you look out your window of of your house, when I would look out my window and I would just see those bare streets (laughs) and know that, oh, it's 10 below, but it feels like 80. Wow. It's so brutal. And then there's the wind. Um, And I'm I'm sure everybody has seen those videos of people like having to hold on to ropes as they they walk around (laughs) downtown Chicago. Um, So... My manager at the time said, "Okay, so you know, dress warm because it's cold up there." And I always have the arrogance. Oh, come on, I'm, I'm from Chicago. Honey. Nothing intimidates me. <laughs> New York winters have been mild, and that's not true. There've been a couple that have been pretty harsh, but never as cold. You know, Montreal in the winter, yeah, it's bitter. It's bitter cold. It's bitter. Every night when I while I was there. I think I went in on a, I think I flew in on a Friday night. So I had the weekend before I actually started the show on Monday. And I was only in the one scene of the last episode of season, season X. Um, So I went out, I'm in Montreal, Hey restaurants, hanging out bars, whatever. I didn't have any friends there. And uh, yeah, at, at one point, I realized I had bitten off more than I could chew. I hadn't brought a, you know, sufficiently warm coat. I'm walking through the streets of Montreal. I get lost, trying to get back to the hotel, and it happens to be on one of those Chicago level <laughs> cold day, nights. And I remember thinking, "Oh, this is you know, the ears are going to fall off. It's all this. The nose freezes together. And, you know, reminded me too much of my childhood, which is why I don't live in Chicago today. But um, that 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 was so much fun. And now I had the very weird experience. I've been an actor for 37 years this year, right? I had the very weird experience of walking into, for instance, so you go into the makeup room, makeup trailer, and they usually have pictures of the regulars on the walls. I think, obviously, as reference points for whoever's doing hair and makeup, you know, or who they're working on or whatever, I think also for, to let the guest stars know, sort of be familiar with who's on the show. Now, I had never seen an episode of Ghost. And in many ways, I, I had by that time kind of even stopped watching television, movies, you know, even, uh, you know, I'm a writer. So I, uh, a lot of uh, time, free time was spe- spent with writing. But also now I have, you know, my two youngest were teenagers. So I'm still, of course, a dad and all of that stuff. Um. I have the experience of looking up on the wall and seeing a, all the pictures and realizing, oh my God, I don't know any of these people. Uh, you know, I, I, I've never, I don't know who who they are. Because one, and the reason I brought it up was because the makeup artist when she was doing my makeup said, oh well, you know, you've been around so long, you must, you must know somebody in the cast, right? And I look up and I go, no, I, wow. I, so that was disconcerting. It only got more disconcerting in a disconcerting in a good way, but still disconcerting. When I walked onto the set, and the whole cast in costume was there doing interviews for publicity. And they kind of gang, gang, what is that word? Rushed me, you know. Oh my God, it's so great to have you here. I'm such a fan. You're and everyone's saying it and they're on this huge hit show oh you know and while yeah it was incredibly um, gratifying to hear that I also finally realized A. how long I'd been in the business and B. how old I was <laughs> I was the I was the at one, one point I looked around I realized I was literally the oldest person on the set Directors, producers, you know, and certainly actors.
0: Well, you, you've had a great career. I mean, that's thing. And and uh, before we wrap, I got I got I got a final question for you. Um, yeah. You've been doing this. You've worked. You've been on hit shows. You've worked. I mean, you've worked on all star casts. You've gotten. Yeah. You've had great relationships. Yeah. What, when you look, when the day is done, what do you love? About being an actor, you know. It, it, you know, some people. It's like you know. I, I do it another podcast. I do a business podcast where I talk. I have a panel. I talk to different people, and and you know, we talk about success. And you know, some like yeah. the, the younger guy will be like, "Well, success to me is you know the money." And the older guys like we you know being making sure my kids are okay. That's success. To you, you know, because you've gone through all these days, and you you've been very fortunate. You know, you've yeah. worked a lot. You started up right off the bat. You got that role. But there's something that keeps you going because even even when people, you know, you're you're a creative type, and I am also, and, and you yeah. you still get you get you worry, you know. But yeah. what is it when the push comes to yourself, What do you love about acting? I mean, and take as long as you want to answer because I always wonder what is it that you just love because this acting has created a life for you that most people, maybe three percent, will ever
1: get yeah. to experience like what you've what you've experienced. Yeah. You know, um, as I said at the beginning, I'm I'm someone who is fortunate enough to love what I do, and I love it so much that I I I regularly get kind of enchanted by my friends who are also doing the work that I, I love to do, and I, I I enjoy working with other actors so much, and 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 making that chemistry work, whether it's as a guest star, whether it's as a regular. Um, the sitcom thing for me first was first and foremost the most fun because it was the closest thing to theater. And you're, again, you're, it's comedy. You're making people laugh. Everybody feels good at the end of a taping and you know. But I think what I, I've always had this obsession with, the term comes to mind, uh, getting it right. Um, and as I got older and I started to know my way around sets a little more, when I, when I first started, say on China beach or even hamburger Hill, um, if you thought you did something wrong, I thought, well, you know, that's it. I never get to do that again. And I messed it up. Um, if you're fortunate and a, you know, and a, and a good director happens to agree I think, you know, hey, I think you can do that scene differently or try this or whatever. Then it's like, oh, oh God, thank you. Yes, thank you. Well, actually Robert Wool showed me this. That it's okay to stop and say, Hey guys, can, sorry, can I can we do that again? You know. Um I that comes with experience, it comes with confidence. Um I love that I love that about acting in this regard with regard to my career that as i've gotten older and more confident and better as an actor stronger as i and i believe the greatest performances i've had the pleasure of seeing in my life on stage or on screen are always are typically by people in their 60s you know, you know even older or 50 whatever 50 i'm 59 so you know i'm i'm now in that category as i was reminded the other day when when someone <laughs> A grown man, I was walking into a restaurant, a grown man held a door for me. (laughs) I'm like, why is this guy holding a door for me? He was like, no, after you, sir. And this guy was in his 40s. Oh, I yeah, wow, I, I am that, you know. But I'm happy about that, you know. I'm happy to have this career that I get to mature in and see actual improvements. Now, of course I'm older, so I can't flip around or, you know, do a lot of physical stuff the way that I could when I was 23 or whatever, but that's good because now I'm obviously working mostly in television and, and it's about small and subtle, but you know, focused and intentional performances. And I, I just remain fascinated by by this work you know Uh, i i i i used to forget my lines uh particularly when i was if i was working with someone like christine baranski or or god um uh, audra mcdonald on on my last show on the good fight but i could easily drop a line because i would be sort of enchanted by what they were doing because in my mind i'm always kind of sort of gauging the performance. My own performance and the performance of the person I'm with, which is all, which is a weird place to be when you're supposed to be sort of in the scene. And mostly I'm a, I am able to be in the scene, but there are some times where I'll go, wow, that was a really good choice in my mind. Oh, she is so good. Wow, I hope I'm as good as she is. I hope I'm doing it. Boatman, it's your line. Oh, sorry. Uh sorry. <laughs> so that's how much I love it you know i i i still make a study of it i still love watching actors i think you could and, and i i wish and i hope i saw a production of sweeney todd here on broadway recently that was just tremendous it was so great and i was so happy to see the audience it was a matinee audience so happy to see the audience it was mostly i would say high school to college age and of course there were you know older adults there as well but i saw a lot of kids singing along with some of those songs songs that i sang along with when i was in college in theater and sweeney todd came out and i thought yeah okay this is there was a nice sense of continuity there um because some, there are sometimes especially in the cli- the current climate and after the strike and everything there there are times when i felt like am I a dinosaur? Am, you know, is the kind of acting I do not even really done anymore? Or, and then I'll see one of my great friends, I'll see Don Cheadle or I'll see, you know, Baranski or something and go, okay, okay, good. Well, you know, they're, they're, you know, it lets me know that I'm okay and I'm a work in progress. Um, so I love that it has, it has obviously allowed me, yes, to live, a, a, a lovely life. um, You know, once I get these last two kids out of college, man, <laughs> but, because um, that's been hard with this strike. You know, daddy's definitely had to go into his, his, <laughs> his you know, to help pay for stuff, which is fine, because I'd be paying for it anyway, you know, but that part is, is, is almost it, it it's almost the icing on the cake, you know. It's a good cake. I can help my family, you know, uh, when times are good. And, uh, but I get excited at the prospect of going on that set every single day, on, on even on the series I was on, because at first it started out, my experience started out with the you know the self doubt, you know I'm a fraud, and you know and trying to cover for that. And then at some point, realizing probably around 40, oh, you're you're okay, you're not not so bad at this kid, kind of thing. And then having reactions. I I did an episode on a show called, um, I don't even remember what it was, Are We There Yet? Uh, The spinoff of the Ice Cube uh, franchise. And um, I went on for two episodes, maybe. And the first day I walk on, Terry Crews was the star. And I didn't know Terry Crews at the time. I don't really know him now, but I met him. And he, I walk on, he's like, Oh, my God, Michael Boatman! We had a real actor on this show now. And I, I looked around like, Who's he talking? Like, oh, thanks. Thanks, Terry. I'm, I'm, you know, recording audiobooks and do it, having just finished a Broadway show, meaning at that point, money wasn't great. This is after all the other the other shows you know maybe 2000 something like that or no uh like 2005 or anyway but he said that and then the other actors sort of it was sort of a small version of what happened on the set of ghosts which was a great feeling and 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 i think that in that moment the self-doubt went away um and i had been doing it at that point for 20 years you know um but I my my oldest daughter is an actress and she's um, working currently. She's in a play off Broadway called Dracula, a comedy of terrors, um, and she's great in it. And it's it's a very funny show. But I always tell her, um, you know, it doesn't the project itself. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you'll have to take jobs just for the money. Sometimes you'll say, what the hell am I doing here? Uh but. I've always believed, and, and the actors that I have always respected, and you can see it in their work, I think, I don't care if it's a shitty script. I'm going to do what I can do to make it better, because it's me. Because it's me up there, and, and I take pride in my abilities and, and, and what, I, what, I, what I hope the other folks are able to do for themselves but i can't control other actors i can only control me so many times someone has come up and said oh i saw you in this this movie or this episode or something or whatever it was terrible but you were really good and that's probably the most gratifying not because it puts other people down in my mind but because i got it right you know i i i i lived up to my to that standard i set for myself whenever i actually did like I want to act the hell out of this thing, you know, and I want to walk away from it feeling, yeah, you did, you did your work, you did a good job, you did okay. Because I think I lived so long with the self-doubt and chewing myself up, and did I do it right? And I'm, why am I, you know, that to be able to to feel acknowledged, you know, by your peers and respected by them is is. Uh, really really gratifying and guess what it happens when i'm doing the thing i love to do one of the things i love to do the most writing is one uh uh, and acting is the other and other than sitting on the beach which i really love but i could write and act on the beach too well that's awesome
0: i want to i want to thank you for this is great i'm glad we got to do this um now what's coming up how can people get in touch with you you're not really on social media
1: much are you Uh, Not a lot, but I do have all the Instagram, and uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm trying to sort of be more present on Facebook. I just, um, a short story collection of mine is coming out in 2024, uh, tentatively titled um, The Midnight Miracle. uh, The Midnight Miracle. Wait, oh my God, I have to remember. It's it's the story. I wrote the freaking thing. The Midnight Miracle Massacre and other stories. Um, and that's going to come out, uh, from a, a small press, um, called Cimarron Street. Uh, and there are some other writers there who've, who've published there that I really, really respect. David J. Scow, who wrote The Crow, uh, that movie way back in the day is one of the greatest, m- m- most well respected kind of dark horror writers ever. And I'm fortunate enough to be friends with him. Um, uh, so that's. Book wise, that's coming out. I, 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 every once in a while I'm constantly writing short stories and subsequently, you know, selling them and then reworking re- them and whatever. So, um, I have a short story coming out in a, a magazine called FIYAH, F I F I Y A H, which is, um, sort of about African and African American diaspora and, um, writers from that world, queer writers and, So I've got a great story called The Liberation of Brother Buffalo, which is, uh, I'm really, really proud of that story. And so um, The Strike gave me a lot of time to write. Um, And I want to do, I've I've published three novels. I've had three novels published. Um, uh, There is a big story in my head that I'm sort of still trying to wrap my mind around. So writing has definitely become... uh, Certainly a priority. Uh, Martin Maul, of all people, once told me the only thing, you know, because I, I was struggling with, with writer's block. At, at, on, it was on the Jackie Thomas show. And I was talking to Martin in one of those moments again where I'm going, I, I'm, how am I here? And he goes, the only way to beat writer's block is one way. And I said, what? Sit your butt in a chair and write That's what he told me. And he's, he's really right. <laughs> it's, it's really true. He said, even if you write dribble it doesn't matter you're keeping the machine going right so the 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 writers, the actor's strike actually gave me a chance to revisit that, so i've been very productive t v wise i I do have the recurring character on ghosts i don't know you know when that starts because you know everything is just actually slowing down for right. the holidays, but um the way they set me up on the show i'm assuming i'll be back you know um and uh, you know that's it. Waiting for meetings and auditions and to sort of come back in. I, I I turned down a couple of plays, which I would never have done when I when I started. I, I said yes to everything. Richard Kind, my friend, um, actually said to me, sometimes it's good to say no. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, I would never. Are you kidding? I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for everything and would go on and have a really horrible experience there and go, why did I say yes to this? Even though, again, my mantra would come in and I still wanted to do it. do do the best work I could do, you know. Um, so, you know, hoping that sort of comes back as well the theater um, gigs and stuff. So very content at the moment, um, eager for 2024 and uh, following my adult children around who, you know, clearly don't really have time for me. <laughs> That, that that's been hard the whole empty nester thing and sort of realizing well of course they're living their lives right so, well,
0: so yeah so people just google michael boatman go on his imdb yeah. go watch his shows he's great you know go go find all those old shows he said china beaches now it's great go go watch that watch all of them. Uh, people, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 990 episodes on there. Uh, you can email me at Cooper coopertalk.net Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Instagram, I'm at coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.